Yesterday, I criticized Congresswoman Green and I praised Jared Kushner. Wow! You should see the reaction. For attacking Green, I'm called a Nazi. For praising Kushner, I'm called a Nazi. That's the level of response we're getting. We live in a crazy, divided world, and it's getting worse. The impeachment is just going to exacerbate our divisions. You'll hear why on The Dirt Show. On yesterday's Dirt Show, I focused on two issues. Number one, the fact that there is a member of Congress, Taylor uh, Greene, uh, who has been a conspiracy theorist and made outrageous claims about a range of uh, issues. Uh, and I also spoke about Jared Kushner and Avi Berkowitz having nominated both of them for Nobel Peace Prizes. Today, I want to talk about the reaction that I have gotten to both of those arguments, which shows us what kind of a crazy, divided world we live in how the extremes are really taking over and how extreme these extremes have become. Let's begin with the member of Congress from Georgia, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, yesterday, the um, majority, now minority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, finally, and perhaps a little belatedly, Attack Green didn't mention her name, but talked about um, the embrace of quote loony lies and conspiracy theories as a cancer on the Republican Party. He's absolutely, he's absolutely right. And uh, now Democrats are making a move to. Um, yeah, I'll read it. What what it says? Democrats are threatening to force a floor vote this week to oust the controversial Georgia Republican from the Education and Labor Committee and the Budget Committee if House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy does not remove her first. Well, I have a suggestion. Why not have a joint resolution removing uh, Green, Taylor Green, from the committee she's on and at the same time removing Elon Omer from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, this is a woman who has come up with equally bizarre conspiracy theories that Israel has hypnotized the world and that American foreign policy toward Israel is determined by the Benjamins, baby, and worse and worse and worse. Anti-Semitic lies up and down. And I'm not partisan, and I don't want to see either of them prosecuted or sent to prison. I support the First Amendment. Uh, I don't even want to see them necessarily thrown out of Congress, though Congress has the power to do that. But putting somebody on the Foreign Affairs Committee is a very, very high praise and an honor, as is putting somebody on the Labor Committee. And the Democrats and the Republicans are both wrong. Neither of these people should be on any committees of Congress. And if they're going to be put on committees, they should be put on the committees, you know, to uh, to uh, do minor, minor, minor things. But these are major committees. And to put an anti-Semite and a virulent anti-Israel person on the Foreign Affairs Committee when she believes that Israel has hypnotized the world, 
and believes in all the other lies she said about Israel is an outrage, and the Democrats are responsible for that. And it's an outrage to put Green on the Labor Committee, and the Republicans are responsible for that. So let's get both of them subject to some kind of sanction by removing them from the committees. But no, we're not going to see that. We're going to see the Democrats try to get rid of Green and perhaps the Republicans try to get rid of O'Mara. And, 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 and the question is, do Democrats support O'Mara and do Republicans support Green? Well, if you go online and read some of the tweets and, 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 and uh, blogs and statements, uh, even those that are attached to the videotape of yesterday's show on Rumble, it is quite remarkable. I cannot believe that people who watch this show, who watch The Der Show, and who read my tweets would write the kinds of things that they wrote on, on Rumble yesterday. Go read them. There are people there who seem entirely reasonable, and then they start saying, well, well, no, 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 the Pentagon couldn't have been attacked by an airplane. The hole in the Pentagon was too small for a, 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 an airplane. No, no, uh, the school shootings, well, we don't know whether they really happened or, or, or not. Uh, you know, I don't know that anybody defended her on her laser attack on California by the Rothschild family. That's even too far for some of the extremists. But if you go on Rumble, I'm attacked viciously. I'm attacked for being a Democratic apologist. I'm attacked for being, you name it, uh, because I tried to criticize an extremist woman who believes in Kunan and, and, and believes that Democrats are pedophiles and cannibals and, uh, and, and the rest of it, and who believes that the Clintons knocked down and killed the plane that John F. Kennedy Jr. was, was flying in in order to prevent John F. Kennedy Jr. from running against Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. I mean, do people actually believe that? Or are they just saying, if Green's a Republican, we're not going to criticize her, just like people on the Democratic side are saying, if Omer is a Democrat, we're not going to criticize her. Well, we have to criticize both. And as I've said before, if you're a Republican, focus your criticism on the Republican, on Green. If you're a Democrat, focus your criticism on Omer. It's too easy to attack the other side. You have to attack your side. I'm a liberal Democrat. And yes, I'm going to spend more time attacking the left than I am attacking the right, but I surely am not going to exempt the right from my attacks. And when you read some of these statements in support of Green, you just say to yourself, is anybody listening? Does anybody care about the truth? It's a question today. It's a real question. And so yesterday I was attacked by the right all day, attacked by the right. And by the way, everybody who attacks me from the right uh, also has to remind people, oh, by the way, I don't believe Dershowitz. He was on Epstein's island. No, I was never on Epstein's island during the relevant period of time. Yes, I visited once with my wife and the daughter. My daughter went, the island was first bought. But I was never on the island when it was Orgy Island or whatever it became. But 
you know, if you're going to attack me on Green, you might as well mention Epstein. You might as well attack me on Epstein. And a lot of the attacks do that. You know, if you believe that there was no attack on the Pentagon, if you believe that John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane was uh, destroyed by um, uh, Hillary Clinton, and if you believe that there were no school shootings, then please also believe that I had sex with underage uh, girls from Epstein. They belong in the same category as all of these other uh, lies, and you lump them together. And if Dershowitz is against Green, he must be must have done these these terrible, terrible things. It, it's a strange world that we live in today. You just got to pick sides. And if you're a Republican or a conservative, you cannot go against a Green. Thankfully, McConnell did. And I think others will as well. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Republicans take their responsibility seriously and really make sure that Green is not legitimated by being placed on important committees. At the same time, the Democrats have to do that with regard to Ilan Omer. And if I were a Republican and there were a motion introduced, and there will be, to take Green off committees, and the Democrats now control the House, so they can probably vote to take her off. It would be in violation of the traditions that each party gets to put their own people on committees in minority or majority roles. But Democrats don't seem to care. If she's green, she's off the committee. But if she's Ilan O'Mara, we have a majority. So we're not going to take her off the committee. That would be utterly hypocritical. You have to apply the same standards to extremist, mendacious, fantasy, conspiratorial bigots on both sides of the aisle. You cannot have one standard for one and one standard for the other. Okay, so that was one issue I talked about yesterday. Green, I'm very proud that I talked about Green, and I know I'm going to get a lot of enemies, including some of my viewers, for doing it, but you're going to always hear the truth on the, on the Dirt Show. And then in the second half of the show yesterday, I said that I had nominated uh, Jared Kushner and Avi Berkowitz, along with uh, the two ambassadors, for the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow, wow, you should read my emails on that. These come from the hard left and the bigots on the other side. Uh, here, I'll read a couple of them. Trump is a fascist, and apparently so are you. Why does Harvard employ a Nazi lover? You should go home to Putin. Yeah, right, he's my favorite guy. Here's another one. Alan, you're a fake Jew. Nominating a fake Jew. Um, you, Jared, and his father, and all of the Trumps are Nazis. You are a fake Jew Nazi. I'm a Nazi. I'm a Nazi. You have a major mental problem. Go F yourself, skank. I mean, that's an intelligent, thoughtful response on the merits to the nomination of Jared Kushner and Avi Berkowitz for the Nobel Peace Prize. That's the level of uh, response one gets these days. Okay, here's another one. First Epstein, now Kushner. Trump must have you in his back pocket. I guess you run along the same lines mentally. How much did he pay you for the nomination? That's always the case, you know. If, if a Jew does anything, it must be because he was paid. 
paid. That's the way Jews do it. They're paid. Everything is. It's the Benjamins, baby. You know how many Benjamins I must have gotten for nominating Jared Kushner? It's the Benjamins, baby. And then it ends with an ominous warning. People will be watching. I hope so. I want people to watch my show. I hope people are watching. And then I guess this is the last one. One dirty old Jew nominates a young dirty Jew. Hope you both burn in hell. Have a nice day. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with in the United States today. We're dealing with the most divided country I've ever experienced. And I lived through McCarthyism. I lived through the Vietnam War. I lived through the protests. I lived through, as many of us did, the Iraq War. I was critical of many of our wars. Um, But I've never seen this. I've never seen this kind of divisiveness, this kind of hate, this kind of vitriol. I'm an equal opportunity victim of hatred. I'm hated by the hard left. I'm hated by the hard right. And I'm going to continue to be hated by both sides because I'm going to tell the truth about the hard right and the hard left. And I must be doing something right if I'm engendering so much hatred from the hard right and the hard left. Interested in in your views on some of these things. I mean, do you, do any of you support uh, Green's uh, conspiratorial fantasies? Do any of you support Elon O'Mara's conspiratorial, bigoted, anti-Semitic fantasies? I sure hope not. But if you do, let me hear from you. Okay. Final thought for today's show. We now know what the defense will be to Trump's unconstitutional impeachment. Um, uh, We also know what the charges are. This morning, the House managers uh, revealed their brief. Of course, the New York Times described it as a a brilliant, thoughtful, uh, detailed analysis uh, in their reporting. I mean, they're not giving opinions. They're just stating, I assure you that whoever writes the defense brief won't get that kind of accolade from the New York Times. But we know that the New York Times is uh, reporting that the thrust of the Democratic manager's brief is that Trump was singularly responsible for the events, the horrible events at the Capitol building, singularly responsible, even though we now know that it was planned well in advance, that a lot of the groups didn't even hear his speech. They just planned to invade the Capitol uh, independent of his speech. But I guess they make the point it doesn't matter what his speech was, that the very fact that he contested the election is what led to the invasion of the Capitol. Uh, Elections have been contested throughout our history, starting with Thomas Jefferson. So I don't know what the implications of that are going to be. But we also know what the defense is going to be. Fortunately for Donald Trump, fortunately for America, um, the uh, lawyers, if they remain his lawyers, the lawyers have said they will not be arguing that the election was stolen. They will not be arguing that the election was subject to fraud. They will argue two constitutional issues. Number one, that the Senate has no jurisdiction to try a form of president. They're right about that. And they will argue that even if they did have jurisdiction, you can't impeach a sitting president or a former president for constitutionally protected speech. They're right about that. And I think if they stick to those two arguments, they have a good chance of getting enough senators to prevent a two-thirds vote for removal. 
I think had they listened to President Trump's ill-advised um, suggestion or request or demand that they put the election on trial, there's a good chance Trump would have been removed because he would have lost the support of McConnell. He would have lost the support of many Republican senators who do not believe the election was stolen, who do not believe that the election was subject to massive, massive fraud. Look, everybody understands that there are problems with the election. In this election, there were constitutional problems in Pennsylvania, um, maybe other places, and there were there was some fraud and there was some miscounting of votes, but not enough to determine the outcome of the election. At least that's my view based on the evidence I've heard. I have an open mind. I'm happy to see <clears throat> a commission, the VIP, the voter integrity panel, appointed to look into it. I will go with the data. I will go with the evidence. I will go with the experts. If you can persuade me that there was computer fraud, hey, I have no uh, reason for opposing whatever the truth is. But right now, the evidence I've seen, and those of you who are critical of my views are right when you say the evidence was never reviewed by a court. I wish the courts had reviewed the evidence. But from what I've seen, I think it would be a mistake for um, the Trump legal team to uh, base their argument on a claim that most senators today, the vast majority of senators, reject, namely that Donald Trump won the election and it was stolen from him. That is a losing argument. And as a lawyer, I would never present that argument to a court, not only because it's a losing argument, I don't present losing arguments to a court, but because it's, in my view, not true. I don't have a sufficient basis in fact to make that argument. And I think lawyers have to have a sufficient basis in fact. I'm not criticizing the lawyers who made that argument. They may know different facts than I do. They may have seen different data. They may have a different set of beliefs. It wouldn't be surprising to me if some of the lawyers and President Trump actually believed that the election was stolen. That's a different question from whether the election was stolen. And a person's subjective belief, if reasonable, that has to pass that test, would be a defense if there were criminal allegations or other allegations. But I think it's much better to keep that issue out of the impeachment and to focus on the two issues. Now, the Trump team will lose the argument about whether the Senate has jurisdiction, no matter how brilliant their arguments are. Even if everybody read my Wall Street Journal article and believed every word of it, saying that you can't put a former president on trial, they're not going to change their votes. They voted 55 to 45. They have jurisdiction. That vote will stand. But then when it comes to a vote on the merits of removal, the 45 who voted against jurisdiction, most of them will vote for acquittal. And if they vote for acquittal on jurisdictional grounds, then there won't be a conviction. Maybe some will also vote, I would hope they would, on the claim that the speech that he made and all the speeches that he made are constitutionally protected. And the idea of establishing a precedent that you can impeach anyone, a president, a former president, a congressman, uh, uh, a member of the cabinet, anyone based on a constitutionally protected speech, I think raises fundamental questions about compromising our, our First Amendment. And so I think what we're going to see is a trial starting on Monday in which these arguments will be made. And although there won't be a second vote on jurisdiction, the vote on acquittal will include 
many senators who might otherwise have voted to convict, but who will argue that there's no jurisdiction. That's what happened in the Mel- Belknap case, which is cited as the major, major precedent that you can put a former uh, public official on trial. Senate was wrong in the Belknap case to put Belknap on trial, but then the same senators who voted not to put him on trial voted to acquit him, not on the ground that he was innocent. They all thought he was guilty in that case, but on the ground that the Senate had no jurisdiction. So you've heard it here. That's my prediction. That's what's going to happen. Things could change. We could see more evidence come up. We can see a change in attitude. We can see things happening that would make Republicans worry for the future of the party. Uh, That would change their votes. But if you ask me now, if I had to bet widows and orphans money, money that couldn't be lost on a particular outcome, I would bet that there would be acquittal and that the number of senators voting to acquit would roughly represent the same number of senators who voted against jurisdiction in the Senate. So again, this won't be much of a precedent, just like Belknap is not much of a precedent. The Senate will have voted they have jurisdiction, then they will have voted to acquit on the grounds that they don't have jurisdiction. So uh, which is the precedent, the first vote or the second vote? This impeachment is not going to bring the country together. Uh, The issues that I talked about yesterday Uh, don't bring the country together. We are a deeply, deeply divided country. We are a country that is suffering from the divisions. We're a country that can't agree about the facts. Forget about the conclusions. Forget about the morality. Forget about the law. Forget about anything else. We cannot agree on the facts. If we have members of Congress, members of Congress, who honestly believe what Green believes, who honestly believe what Elon Omer believes, we are in deep, deep trouble. If we have my viewers and Rumble viewers who honestly believe I'm a Nazi, I'm a Nazi, then, you know, where do we go to have discourse and debate? Well, there's one place you can have discourse and debate, and that's the Dirt Show. So keep calling in. Keep letting your views be known. I will censor nothing. Anything you have to say will be put on my show, and I will respond. I believe in debate and dialogue. I don't believe in censorship. I don't believe in taking people off the air. I believe in responding in the marketplace of ideas. I'm proud of the arguments I made yesterday about Green, about Kushner, and today about how the trial will go forward. I will stand up and defend those arguments you can attack my arguments. Don't attack ad hominem. Don't use uh, words like Nazi. Don't raise the Epstein issue as if that responds to everything I've ever done and said. As I've said before, the evidence is absolutely conclusive. It's as conclusive as that uh, men walked on the moon and that the shootings of the high schools were real and that uh, John F. Kennedy's plane uh, was not uh, knocked out of the air by Hillary Clinton. Just to make a personal point about that, I was actually on the island. I knew John F. Kennedy uh, Jr. I've known the whole family. I was on the beach at Gayhead with my family uh, visiting friends, Aquina it's now called, when the first uh, luggage and the first tires from the Kennedy plane uh, drifted up to shore. We were the first people who knew that John F. Kennedy was probably dead Uh, We probably knew it before his family did because we were there when the first evidences of it came up and we shed tears and it was a 
a very, very sad day. He was a very, very nice uh, man. And maybe he did have a political future. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But uh, he died as the result of uh, negligence and as the result of uh, not uh, flying uh, in a plane that should have been flown uh, that night in, in, bad, in bad weather. It was a horrible, horrible uh, tragedy, but not something that the Clintons had any responsibility for. So let's try to agree on facts. Let's understand that truth has its own claims. You know, you can come to your own conclusions about what flows from the facts, but at least let's agree about the facts. And on The Dirt Show, you'll always hear the facts. Sometimes I'll attack the right. Sometimes I'll attack the left. Sometimes I'll attack the center. Sometimes I won't attack. I'll praise. But you'll always hear the truth. You'll always hear the truth from me on The Dirt Show. So now let's hear the truth from you, from your comments, from your observations. You're the wits from The Dirt Show. So let's turn to the callers. When I talk about provocative subjects, I expect provocative calls in response. So here they are, our first caller. My name is Shane, and I'm calling from Kansas. Good day to you, Professor Dershowitz. You have said on many occasions that you don't believe that the 2020 election was stolen. You've said that there could have been some fraud, probably was, but not enough to swing the election the other way. So my question is, because there are many Democrats who believe that both the 2000 and 2016 elections were stolen. Do you feel that those elections were stolen, or do you feel the same way about the 2000 and 2016 elections as you do about the uh, 2021, that they were not stolen? And that there just may have been some fraud, but not enough to swing the pendulum the other way. Thank you for your time, sir. It's a great question. The answer is yes. I don't think the twenty, uh, th- the 2000 election was stolen. Um, I think it was a mistake. I wrote a book about it called Supreme Injustice. I don't think the Supreme Court should have stopped the vote. Um, and that was an election that was a tie, basically. Um, when you get an election with uh, 100, 100, more than 100 million people voting, and it comes down to 540 votes in the state of Florida, um, you have to have concerns about that election. Do I think it was stolen? Absolutely not. Do I think George Bush somehow manipulated to get the election in his favor? No, I think the Supreme Court made a mistake. It was an honest mistake. It's part of our system. I attacked the Supreme Court. I think if the votes had, all the votes had been counted in Florida— it's very possible that uh, that uh, Gore would have won the election. I don't know that for sure, um, but I would never use the word stolen. Certainly not in 2016. That seemed to me to be a, a fair uh, election. Uh, it wasn't a landslide. It was relatively close. It's the nature of our electoral college that the winner of the popular vote can lose the election. It's happened for many, many uh, times in our electoral history. So no, I don't think either. I don't think any election in American history was stolen. I think the closest we come to it is Tilden Hayes, which was bought, not stolen, bought. Bought by Southerners who exchanged their electoral votes essentially for the end of Reconstruction. That was probably the worst election in American uh, history. Uh, perhaps the election of John Quincy Adams over um, uh, Andrew Jackson comes close, 
Uh, of course, Jefferson's election uh, in 1800 was completely fair. He won overwhelmingly in every way. There was just a mess up in how the Electoral College set out the votes, and that was changed uh, shortly thereafter by the 12th Amendment. So, no, I don't think we've ever had a stolen election, and I do not think that the election of 2020 was stolen. I think that uh, Biden won it uh, legitimately, both uh, the popular vote and the electoral vote, though I think it would be better if we had a, a commission that examined this and led me to see what the actual facts are. Right now, I'm basing my conclusions on what I've read, and it's hard to find the truth in what you read today in our partisan press. But it's the best conclusion I can come to, and I know many of my viewers and listeners disagree with it. You have the right to disagree with it, and I will always defend your right to be wrong. Yeah, hi. My name is Susan Olshansky. I just uh, saw on the Internet where you nominated Jared Kushner for the Nobel Peace Prize. What is wrong with you? That man is a, is a do-nothing moron, Trump flunky, and you think he's worthy of the Nobel Peace Prize? What is wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? What's wrong with me is I go by the facts, and I know that Jared Kushner worked very, very hard. I know because I worked with him on early stages of the Middle East peace plan. Uh, the guy never slept. He traveled all over the world. Uh, he's very smart. I knew him as a student, only vaguely, but I knew him as a student at Harvard College. Um, he's worked very, very hard. Uh, you can call him whatever you want to call him. You don't know him. I know him. Uh, I saw how hard he worked. I saw how hard Avi Berkowitz, who was a Harvard Law School student, worked. They traveled from country to country, um, meeting with ambassadors, meeting with uh, heads of state, meeting with uh, heads of government, uh, meeting with all the relevant people. And yes, they deserve the Nobel Peace Prize, and I hope they'll get it. And if they get the Nobel Peace Prize, it'll solidify the Abraham Accords, which were very important. So you use whatever terms you want to use and ask what's wrong with me. What's wrong with me is that I go by the facts, and I don't allow popularity or partisanship to intrude on my decisions. I'm very proud that I nominated um, uh, four people for the Nobel Peace Prize. I hope they get it. Hi. I just wanted to thank Professor Dershowitz for nominating Jared Kushner, his deputy Avi Berkowitz, the U.S. ambassador and the former Israeli ambassador for the Nobel Peace Prize for their roles in negotiating those deals between Israel and Arab nations. Thank you very much, Professor, Dersh Professor Dershowitz. Maybe the conservatives will get a win. Thank you so much again. Well, I appreciate it. I didn't do it to give the conservatives a win. I'm a liberal. I did it to give people who deserve uh, the prize uh, encouragement. I want to encourage other people to engage in the peace process. That's what Alfred Nobel wanted to do when he said in his will he wanted the peace prize to go to people who made great efforts toward bringing nations together, toward ending warfare among nations, to convening conferences uh, between uh, nations that have disagreements and trying to resolve them peacefully. So it's hard to imagine any accord that is more deserving of the Nobel Peace Prize than the Abraham Accords. I didn't do it for conservatives or liberals. I did it for truth and for peace in the Middle East. Yes, Mr. Dershowitz, 
My name is Al DiPiro. I live in Hackensack, New Jersey. I have one question that I could never get answered, and I'd like to understand that if people are in violation of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, whether it be Democrats, Republicans, locals, local politicians, or Washington, D.C. politicians, why aren't they prosecuted or something done about it? Or can you prosecute them for violation of the Constitution? I'd appreciate your answer. Thank you. Al DiPiro. Take care. Hey, Al, that's a great question. And a lot of people are confused about that. Um, they think that the Constitution itself carries with it criminal punishments. No, the Constitution is a structure of government. It authorizes the legislature to enact criminal laws that are then enforced. But violating the Constitution in and of itself cannot be a crime unless the legislature has made it a crime. It can give rise to a cause of action if somebody violates your Fifth Amendment rights or your Sixth Amendment rights or your First Amendment rights. You can sue them. But criminal punishments can only occur when the legislature has authorized criminal punishments. I'll give you a perfect example. The Constitution def defines treason. It says what treason is. But unless Congress passes a statute punishing treason and giving a specific punishment for treason, which of course they did immediately, the Constitution itself doesn't authorize criminal punishment. But it's a great, great question, a great jurisprudential question, and one that I think I'm glad to be able to answer. I see this post about, should I nominate Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize? All I could say is, you probably know the respect that you garner these days is shrunken just like that of cuckoo uh, Rudy Giuliani. First of all, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be disbarred and stripped of any emeritus status at Harvard. Second of all, you really should stop defending Trump. I know you're, you know, a fame whore galore, but you should you should consider you're getting older, and you should try to consider your you know, your legacy right now, it's going to be somehow this guy who was an amazing lawyer who taught the world the, you know, the sharpness of a legal mind. And now you look like just a freak out of these, these like clown car around Trump and Rudy Giuliani. <clears throat> if I were you, I'd be working on <clears throat> my memoirs and get the f out of uh, <clears throat> the spotlight. I hope I don't ever see you on TV again. It'll only crush me because I used to respect you listening to you. I always thought you were so smart, but I realized you like to argue just to be on the other side. You're totally a contrarian. And that guess that's how you ended up over in the Trump camp, which is despicable. So that's enough. I think you're Jewish, by the way, and he's totally an anti-Semitic racist. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself that way, too. Well, I always love people who say they used to uh, admire me. You never, ever should have admired me because you admired me for the wrong reasons. You admired me because you thought I was on your side. I was never on your side. I've always been on the side of the Constitution. Sometimes the Constitution turns out to help the Democrats, sometimes Republicans, sometimes liberals, sometimes Democrats. You should never have admired me because you never understood me. I'm always going to stand up for a principle 
And frankly, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what my reputation is among partisan zealots. What I care about is doing the right thing and defending the Constitution against unconstitutional impeachment and other unconstitutional attacks is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And by the way, I've written my memoir. It's called Taking the Stand, My Life and the Law. If you want to read it, you'll read it and you'll see. I haven't changed in 65 years. The one thing you can accuse me of is uh, the Emersonian notion of uh, consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. I am consistent. I've taken the same views for 60 years. I took them when I opposed McCarthyism. I took them when I opposed some of the ways in which Richard Nixon was being attacked. I supported his impeachment, but I opposed him being named as an unindicted co-conspirator. I made enemies all across the political spectrum, right and left, because I'm a principled person and I stand up for principle, which means my principles sometimes hurt your side of the issue. If that's the way you want to judge me, fine, but you never, ever, ever should have admired me. I'm more insulted by the fact that you once admired me than by the fact that you now despise me. Uh, I think you're wrong in both instances. Hi, Professor Dershowitz. This is Brad from San Diego. A friend of mine recently got a job in an industry that's heavily liberal and heavily Democrat, and this friend of mine is terrified that someone will find out that he is a Republican and tilts a little bit right, not hard right, actually, not that that should matter, but but I would say kind of a moderate, but did vote for Donald Trump. And this individual is is sure that if they found out, they would fire him and is also sure that if they knew in advance that he had been a Trump supporter, that he would not have been hired in this role. So as I'm sure you know, there are EEOC laws that mm-hmm. protect people uh, in terms of their gender, race, religion, age, orientation, pregnancy, national orientation, etc. So my question to you is, do you think that it is time to have a rule that protects people to who have the right to have their political beliefs and that you should not be able to discriminate against someone in terms of hiring and and that sort of thing because they happen to be a different political Mm -hmm. persuasion than you happen to be. And I look forward to your response. It's a great question. Of course, we do have some protections. The Hatch Act and other statutes protect federal employees. Uh, You can't ask a federal employee who he voted for or who she voted for And you can't fire them based on who they voted for. But we're living through an age of McCarthyism. Today, Republicans and people who voted for Trump are going to have to hide their voting record. They're not going to be willing to reveal it because they're afraid they'll be treated the way communists were treated in the 1950s. By the way, I think the same thing is sometimes true on the other side. If you get very, very hard-right Republicans employing you, and if they find out you're a liberal Democrat, they're probably going to rule against you. I think the time has come for us to think about making uh, political views, not necessarily a protected group like race or religion or, or sexual orientation, but to make it clear that you can't be fired based on who you voted for. You can't be punished based on who you voted for. It's worth considering. It will be hard to implement But it's certainly a worthy cause. I hate the fact that people today have to hide their political uh, affiliations or who they voted for. That's not America. Hi, this is Gary calling from Chicago. I have uh, a question and a comment. Uh, The rationale for uh, Democrats or for those who uh, favor having an impeachment trial uh, 
after a person has left office is to prevent him from holding office again uh, and to hold him accountable. So two questions are, one is, why is it that the Founding Fathers uh, put in the Constitution the ability for Congress to prevent somebody from holding office again uh, seems somewhat paternalistic uh, rather than allowing the electorate to choose to not re-elect such a person mm-hmm. to office in the future. Secondly is when uh, they say that the uh, uh, former president needs to be held accountable, uh, do they totally disregard the criminal judicial system, which would hold him uh, accountable for criminal acts, or is it merely because they uh, recognize that uh, he would not be uh, criminally liable under our system of justice? Thank you very much. I look forward to your response. Two two really, really great uh, questions. First of all, I think the framers made a mistake. I don't think they should have put in the Constitution disqualification for future office. I agree with you. If a person's been impeached, uh, he should be able to run. And if the public uh, supports him, uh, he should be able to be reelected. We have a member of Congress right now, Congressman Hastings of Florida, who was impeached as a federal judge and then ran for election in his district and won, and he served with great distinction. Uh, in Congress. The voters have the right to make that decision. So I think the framers made a mistake. But they didn't allow disqualification to stand independently. They only allowed it to be an adjunct to removal. And if the person has already left office, I don't believe you can impeach that person um, just to hold him disqualified for future office. And you're also right about the second point, And that is the impeachment provision specifically provides that this doesn't preclude a person from being criminally prosecuted. And so, yes, President Trump could be criminally prosecuted for incitement. He'd be acquitted. Uh, It wouldn't even get to a jury because constitutionally his speech was protected. But he could be criminally prosecuted. Uh, Richard Nixon could have been criminally prosecuted. That's why he got a pardon from um, the vice president who became his president, uh, President Ford. Uh, That probably cost Ford his re-election. He goes down as a profile in courage. I think he did exactly the right thing at the risk of his own uh, re-election. Look, we need more profiles in courage. We need more courageous people. You will hear uh, from some people of courage from callers on The Der Show. And I certainly hope you think I have courage in standing up against the right and the left and extremes from both parties. So next time on The Der Show, please send in your questions. Let them be attacks on me. You heard today some attacks on me. I'm perfectly happy to take them. I'm not going to censor your views. I want to hear from you on The Der Show. An important part of The Der Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.